0: We're offering 15% off a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair. Visit vanityfair.com today and use promo code POD15. That's vanityfair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off a yearly digital subscription to everything you want.
1: Today's episode is brought to you by Empower. It doesn't matter how much money you have, we all have money questions. Empower is here to answer those questions so you don't have to worry. Take control of your financial future with a real-time dashboard and real live conversations to empower what's next. Start today at empower.com. This
2: episode is brought to you by Progressive. Are you driving your car or doing laundry right now? Podcasts go best when they're bundled with another activity. Like Progressive home and auto policies, they're best when they're bundled too. Having these two policies together makes insurance easier and could help
3: you save. Customers who save by switching their home and car insurance to Progressive save nearly $800 on average. Quote a home and car bundle today at
2: Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary.
4: Hello and welcome back to Still Watching Succession, Vanity Fair's podcast covering all the ins and outs of Succession Season 3. I'm Richard Lawson.
2: I'm Sonia Saraya.
4: Uh, We're here today to talk about Episode 7, Too Much Birthday. I think we've all had that feeling at one point in our lives, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Just a little too much birthday. Um, Normally we would start the show by going to subtext uh, for reader questions and theories and all that and our email stillwatchingpod at gmail.com. But unfortunately, because of the Thanksgiving holiday, we're recording this episode early, so we don't really have anything pertaining to last week's episode, which hasn't aired yet.
2: As always, don't forget to get back to us about your thoughts about this week's episode and what we've been talking about. You can do that with subtext, joinsubtext.com slash stillwatching, or emailing us at stillwatchingpod at gmail.com.
4: But still keep in mind that we are reading these things. Um, You know, We'll get more into mailbag stuff uh, in the coming weeks before the season ends.
2: Yes, absolutely. Um, and some of the uh, we did get one message um from Kristen who asked about um the support staff on the show, and that was that is something we've been talking about a little bit um already. Uh, we talked about it last week with um Carrie's sort of elevation uh, that's the Logan's assistant um and then this week too, we have uh, some fun skirmishes with the support staff around Kendall. Um. So it's definitely on our minds, and we're we're reading everything you guys are telling us. So please send us more questions. Um. So this week's episode, possibly the saddest episode of Succession ever. I don't know what he.
4: (laughs) Just a real bummer, but I mean, I think an artfully rendered bummer. But like, it was just like, I you know, we, we. I think you and I both, and maybe not just this season, but this whole show long, all three seasons have been sort of wrestling with how much we should really care about these people or feel for these people. Mm-hmm. And this makes it pretty hard not to care for at least a couple of them.
2: Yeah, for sure. And at the same time, kind of turns the tables on someone we've been caring a lot about this season um, yeah. with with Roman and and stuff. So, you know, it's Kendall's 40th birthday. He deserves top billing. Let's uh, let's. Let's get into Kendall. You know, um, I think one of the things that's so great about Jeremy Strong's performance is that Kendall is so tiresome and he's very tiresome throughout this episode in various ways. Um, and that really comes out in particular with, uh, Comfrey, um, who is Barry, Barry's assistant played by Dasha, um, Red Scares Dasha, who Greg has a crush on. Um, the these, t- these two people who are on the side, both Greg and Comfrey, end up kind of getting like the brunt of Kendall's sort of frustrating, entitled behavior. But then you as the viewer, while you're in it, you're just seeing this guy go through a totally tragic isolation on his big birthday, this incredible sense of loss from all sides, and all, like feeling kind of abandoned almost by his family, by his loved ones.
4: Yeah, as someone who is going to turn forty in less than two years, this did not make me feel good. I mean, already was not feeling great about this birthday. I mean, I have another one in between, thankfully, but um, but yeah, I think that this season, um, particularly with Kendall, obviously, has been about his increasing isolation. But I think we also see Shiv's isolation in this episode, and these kids who surround—I mean, they're you know grown-up kids—but they surround themselves with this money and this swagger and this power uh and then you know are left dancing by themselves or standing alone by themselves at their own birthday party like it's just pathetic it's um and even even the episode ends with you know roman kind of happily alone but alone
2: yeah yeah that's that's true um let's talk a little bit about kendall's party um is this a fun party is this a party you would want to go to
4: (laughs) oh hell no i mean i would go for the sort of gopping of it all like i you know like uh you know roman says as much he's just i'm just going to rubberneck you know Um, I would, I think I would, it would be one of those things where you read about it and feel a little like FOMO if you didn't go, but, um, you know, it is also, these are immoral people and I probably, hopefully my principles would win out and I wouldn't go. Yeah. I did love at the top of the episode where, you know, Kendall is going down like, okay, like, you know, I want everyone to have fun. And he mentions the Imagineers, (laughs) a term he has stolen from the Disney empire, which, uh, that's what they call the people who make the rides and all the areas of their parks. Um, and I thought that was a really funny detail, because, of course, lurking in Kendall somewhere is a little bit of someone who knows, like, Disney term. <laughs>
2: right. And I mean, he 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 thinks of himself as being, like, su- such a, uh, a woke, rich person that he is, like, encouraging the support staff, the people who are literally working his absurd party to have fun, when clearly none of them are going to be able to have fun. I mean, this is such a big production. Um, and as we see throughout the throughout the episode he's had really ridiculous asks he's been come up with very strange um up their own ass ideas about how to sort of express himself in this moment i mean you know the first thing that happens for guests um biff besides the coat the coats and phones being taken is they go down a pink hallway into mm-hmm. a nursery um where you're served cocktails and baby bottles <laughs> Um, and, you know, it's, uh, it's the vaginal canal into the nursery. Um, and, you know, I really loved that Willa coming in with Connor was like, oh, it's theater. Well, they could have consulted me.
4: Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, as if Willa's like going to be doing some huge installation theater piece at St. Ann's Warehouse or
0: something.
2: It, it, but it definitely has this like Sleep No More whatever immersive theater element to it yeah. where you're kind of in this, um... In this, in this weird space with Kendall, but then also how infantilizing for Kendall himself to sort of be like, come into my nursery space, into myself as a baby. Like, I need you to see me as the vulnerable baby I once was in order to really party with me.
4: Yeah. I mean, the sleep no more thing is funny because, like, also, again, of course, like, Kendall probably went to that once <laughs> yeah. or maybe half of it and then, like, but, but like talks about it all the time, like oh you gotta go to sleep, you know, you, you know. Like I just I feel like there are so many little clues about Kendall's cultural consumption or sort of dilettantish kind of you know awareness of culture yeah. in this episode that it just makes the portrait that grows darker as the episode goes that much sadder.
2: Yeah, I want to I want to just call out some of the really funny details about this party. Like there's a Tom and Greg at some point are walking down a hallway that has like an arched florals around it, greens and florals. And there are people, people of mostly black people who are like crouching behind the greenery with like their little faces poking through and just like shouting compliments or or (laughs) affirmations at uh, the people walking by. Um, there's, uh, uh, Kendall's got done a photo shoot for it. So there's portraits of him kind of looking like those SNL portraits that they do during the show. Um, and, you know, it says Kendall really big. Like it has, we've talked about him having this sort of desperate bar mitzvah energy in the past. Um, and this is really like, uh, this is like, you know, it's that, but it's the 40th birthday. It's really like to yeah. the next level. <laughs>
4: my baby's a man today he's 40 he's been a man for a while um yeah and and you know i i think a a funny thing about the sort of trappings of this party is that thankfully we never actually see the final performance that was supposed to happen thank god but we we do in a kind of mirror of the rap um from last season we do at least see was that first season god i can't remember anymore but i think it was the second season the second season's uh, the rap Yeah. yeah yeah um but we see some of Kendall singing Billy Joel's Honesty, which um, I guess I get the what he the irony intended there. Yeah. <laughs> but it just still it feels so empty. And I think he he knows that from the outset and thankfully makes the right decision later on to not do it. Well,
2: I, I was really struck by it. You know, I looked at the lyrics um, because I was just curious about this song. And it's funny. He's um, the lyrics are like, I don't just want a pretty face. I want That telling me pretty lies. I want someone to tell me the truth and I can't find someone to tell me the truth. But Kendall is surrounded by people who keep trying to tell him the truth. And then he fires them. (laughs) I'm thinking back to last week with Lisa Joy, who like calmly, very calmly and very respectfully was like, this isn't working. Like your attitude towards the DOJ is cavalier and insensitive and they're not going to respond well to it. And he fired her. He called her toxic. Like he wants honesty, but he can't really take it either.
4: He, he wants people to see him as someone who wants honesty, right. you know, which yeah. uh, is a very, very different thing. Um, and maybe, I don't know, I think Kendall has some sort of breakthrough to some extent about who he actually is in this episode. Although all he breaks through to is a lot more darkness. Uh, so it's not a positive, not a positive breakthrough by any means.
2: You know, I have to, I mean, I have to say I was still kind of proud of him at the end of this episode because yeah. Yeah, we've seen given what we know about kendall this could have gone so much worse i mean there could have been a worse bender a dead body <laughs> like
0: right. he
2: could have rapped again <laughs> like a lot of bad things could have happened um but but somehow and i and we'll talk i want to talk about how he goes from kind of this emotional nosedive partway through and you know i think what really um there's like kind of a a, a multiple step uh, a, a couple of steps that just lead him to this, what sort of feels like a, a free fall emotionally. You know, the first is that he discovers that his siblings who have showed up uh, aren't really there for him. Like they, they do, they weren't even that interested in seeing him. They're there to do this deal with uh, Matson, who's the founder of do- Gojo and is played by Alexander Skarsgard. Um, and then he finds out he gets this card from his father and also sort of from Roman, which offers um bizarrely offers him a, div- a divestment from the company. Um, I paused it so I could like read the fine print. um it would be him selling his shares to the tune of two billion dollars, but it would be two billion dollars for Kendall um and then there- two bill two bill <laughs> just a little bit, yeah, just a little hot, two bill um, and then there's this present from his children. And this revelation that his children and the nanny have been surveilled by Waystar or, you know, by Logan's goons. Um, And he starts drinking. He fully starts drinking, which is really kind of scary, actually, um, in the context of everything we know about him. But it's I also I'm not surprised given these like repeated hits against like all the people closest to him and and measuring how much they care.
4: Yeah, and I think, you know, as someone who ended his 30th birthday party crying in a taxi cab, <laughs> um, I can attest to the fact that, like, feeling, having a sort of realization of aloneness at a big birthday party is not a good feeling. And that it comes in such ornate packaging. Like, you know, obviously the siblings, he, he genuinely does think that they're there to see him a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then he finds out they're clearly not. The, the kick in the teeth from his dad and Roman, to some extent, um you know, there's a real finality in that, Mm
0: -hmm. you know? I I
4: think I don't think that's an idle offer. He kind of brushes it off as that, but I think he knows that his dad really wants to be done with him, Mm. um, which is pretty harrowing. And then this metaphorical, or this, I don't know if it's metaphorical, but this sort of, um, there's a symbolism in the lost object given to him by his children, Mm -hmm. right? Of course, he can't find it. He can't get to that. He can't locate it, uh, and nor can they get to him. Mm-hmm. um and I, there's a real tragedy in that with him um and naomi just sitting you can hear this good foley work they're just sitting on a pile of presents <laughs> and she's trying to comfort him and he's looking and he starts crying and it's like that is like the saddest little birthday boy you know rich birthday boy ever um oh but yeah it's it's that isolation and that sort of just like what have i been doing um that almost i think the creeping dread of that and also the, the threat of this performance this is the saddest episode uh, of Succession ever, maybe. But it's also one of the most suspenseful, I found. Mm, what what was suspenseful about it? Well, just because I was worried that he was going to do the performance and I was waiting for that to happen. Mm-hmm. But also, you, I was worried about how bad his reaction was going to be. Right. Yeah. And I think, you know... Sorry to jump ahead, but I think that if you go to the end of the episode, we had thought that he lived on Billionaires Row or whatever, um, on Central Park South or Fifty Seventh Street. Yep. But he actually his his house is in the Hudson Yards. Yeah. This, yep. you know, garish new real estate development, which features the vessel, mm-hmm. which is a sort of public space art piece with kind of a bunch of stairs leading to nothing that has been closed of late because of suicides. And uh we the episode ends almost you know there's one little shot after that of of Kendall staring down at it and i feel like there was some suspense for me there about like are they making some sort of connection between what's happened with the vessel and a very depressed Kendall looking down at it i don't know
2: oh i mean that is, that's such a i mean that's an incredible look into it i i do think the the choice of hudson yards and and the emphasis on the the empty, the soullessness of, of the creation of the vessel, which is this kind of corporate art object that turns out to be a perfect machine. I mean, not a perfect machine, a perfect structure to kill yourself off of um, which nobody thought about apparently when they commissioned it and put it there. Um, You know, I really love this. uh, There's this long feature in um, New York mag about um, Hudson yards by Justin Davidson that I think uh, if you're, if you're interested and you haven't read it, gives like such a great um backdrop environmental backdrop to what to to what Kendall's going through and you know like we we were wrong about exactly where he was living but there's something very closely related to all of these recent developments in New York that are like not human centered very much sort of money centered um and and he's he's looking down at this at, at at this uh at this weird structure that is it's a it's a vessel for nothing um yeah it was fairly poignant
4: yeah i mean hudson yards is this big flashy long in the works uh development project that you know has a really expensive restaurant that i think already closed uh the stores have been doing well um you know the and and a lot most of the city hates it you know so of course that's where kendall would buy his big flashy apartment of course is in this like you know kind of like those mega tall skyscrapers um just a few blocks uh north of, of where that is um Uh, you know, they're these totems of wealth, but they signify no, you know, sophistication or anything like that. It's just like, if you're rich enough, here you go. But they're tacky in that. Um, And it's, yeah, it's a very fitting place uh, for Kendall to live.
2: You know, this is, um, this is kind of just like, I'm pretty sure I first read this in Chicken Soup for for the teenage soul. So please bear with me. But I remember reading this essay from someone about how a birthday is not just the year you're turning but it's kind of like you have every year you've ever turned in you at once and i thought about i mean i think that's kind of relevant because in this episode kendall really regresses he really becomes a child by the end of the episode and there's um you know the, the, during the moment where roman is taunting him towards the end he says what are you fucking six and I was kind of like, yeah, he is. Like, look at him at the final moment of this episode. He's wrapped in this kid's blanket and kind of curled up at home, which happens to be this horrible Hudson Yards. Like, you can hear the the wind whistling through the concrete and glass as he's lying there. Um, and I, I, I thought about that in relation to his kids and this gift that his kids gave him. Where like and, and they even put it in rabbit wrapping paper because of I guess they've forgiven him about the fact
4: that he right. killed, yeah.
3: Yeah.
2: <laughs> killed their rabbit or maybe they just really like rabbits. But it's like he can't be reached by them or be present for them because he's he's like where they are, like, you know, emotionally. And to go back to this card from from Logan, which reads the the happy birthday's crossed out. And it says it says cash out and fuck off uh, with with the the offer for for buying the shares. Um, I think that look that Kendall needs to be done with Waystar Royco and needs mm-hmm. to be done with Logan to like move on. But of course, there's so much grief too about being pushed out of this family that's fully defined him for so long. He, he even if he wants to leave, he's being rejected. And I, I again, I. I'm glad he was able to feel grief instead of burying it into something else, which we've seen him do before.
4: Yeah, no, that was good. I mean, the the catharsis of him, you know, just being kind of leaning into it and giving into to what he was feeling. Um, yeah, and and the rest development thing, you see it in this treehouse that obviously mm. is viciously mocked by his siblings, but also like, I don't, I, I don't think most of the guests at the party know him, right? And so they wouldn't know what the significance of this treehouse is. You know, he has this whole mythos that he's crafted about his life and all this stuff as if like that many people have been paying attention to the minor details of his life, you know, right. He's so consumed by his own regression and his own sort of, you know, arrested development that he assumes that everyone else is consumed by it too. And that just is not the case, um, you know, and, and then, you know, speaking about the card and this kind of very gruff, aggressive offer to buy him out, you know, he has this moment and I, I agree that he does need to get out. He has this moment with Naomi. Where he starts fantasizing about like maybe I do it and we move to Marrakesh and we have sex and I learn to play the you know whatever and uh, I and he does say he does hash which I guess I don't know if that's good for him or not but <laughs> um but but he also then talks about buying newspapers and uh just you know using them to attack his father so even in his fantasy of getting out he's still not out
2: yes yes there's the entanglement r- remains um. I'm curious. I think I I literally feel curious about it because I don't know what I feel about it. So I'm curious what you think, too. Is Naomi like a good influence in Kendall's life? Because I I know initially we've had some questions about about them. And and certainly Kendall is not sober. You know, I don't know if either of them are sober. Um, I I wasn't paying attention to her drinking. But, you know, we know Kendall isn't. But at the same time, um, she kind of it's possible that her presence kind of helps Kendall not spiral completely. I mean, she is sort of able to reach him in this in this pile of gifts. The his his birthday meltdown. She's with him after Roman, you know, pushes him to the ground. Um, she takes him home. Is maybe helping him manage this addiction. I don't know. What do you think?
4: Yeah, the Naomi question has been an interesting one all season because I think, you know, early on we were like, I don't know, is she encouraging him to do bad things? And I think we see a little bit of both, the good and the bad of this episode. Mm-hmm. He's wandering around the party alone. And I felt such a kind of ru- a rush of palpable relief when he found her. And mm-hmm. I was like, OK, he should just ask her to not leave his side for the rest <laughs> of the night, mm. you know. Um, and yeah, so she's obviously a source of comfort. I think she has maybe enabled him into some bad thinking uh, uh, perhaps too readily. Um, But, you know, there in the end she is. Although, I don't know, that lingering shot right before the credits of, it, it, you know, it's him lying on her lap and, and her kind of staring into the middle distance or whatever. She looks a little, not bored, but maybe a little frustrated. I don't know. There was mm. something sort of, some sort of question hanging in the air with Naomi in that final shot. Or maybe I'm reading too far into it.
2: No, it it was a long shot. It made me wonder too. It, it like went on for like ten seconds more than you kind of expected it to. Um, and and I think you know, um, I I don't know if this had something to do with the fact of like uh the actress who plays Naomi Annabelle Dexter Jones of like her availability, but throughout the season it's been kind of odd. It's been easy to forget that Kendall and Naomi are involved because um she hasn't really been that present. Um, and I. I even I mean I can believe that she is someone who really could understand Kendall's point of view because she has a sort of similarly wealthy family and has her own struggles with addiction and has a similar kind of dysfunctional relationship I think with the main the main family um but I just haven't seen that much of it. I would like to have seen more of it,
4: yeah, yeah, um. I I agree, but I you know, the show is juggling so many characters and plot lines that I guess maybe it, it it maybe it's her availability, but maybe it's just like we have to only we can only use her sparingly, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did I think she played a really interesting role in this episode, and perhaps even more interesting when you consider that potentially next week we're going to Kendall's mom's wedding. Yes, and so she's kind of taking over this maternal thing at the end. Um, you know, and and look the the whole vaginal canal birth entrance to the party, like that is a longing for his mother. You mm. know, and and that's spoken about by Roman and and Shiv and and Connor, maybe to some extent. Like like they all recognize how strange it is that this very distant, removed woman from their life should feature some you know some sort of metaphorical gesture toward her should feature so prominently um, uh, at the beginning of this party.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's weird, and 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 I think it's it's brought up at, like right at the beginning, where like, oh well, who's here? And um, there is this like list of of a listers' first names at the early in the episode, and you do hear Elon uh, and Jeff, which I assumed was Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos, but you know, his family points out, you know, your parents aren't here, your kids aren't here, <laughs> like, who is this party for? <laughs>
4: Did, did, how how many times had we known that his kids were named Iverson and Sophie? <laughs> I
2: knew Sophie. I, I remember Sophie. I don't... I did not remember Iverson. What's that, that about?
4: <laughs> funny. If, that's an, a basketball player, right?
2: Well, Alan Iverson, yeah. Right. But maybe it was like a last name that was like a family last name and they decided to repurpose it. I don't know. Uh, and feels- there's also... Um, Oh, the there's a Post Malone song. Post Malone. Oh, yes, that's exactly. what it is. A Post Malone song called White Iverson,
4: which I. When did that come out?
2: 2015. So definitely would be in Kendall's listen easy listening playlist.
4: <laughs> and and Iverson is howled, right? You know what I mean. Yeah. So like, I, I'm like, is he named? Oh, is this kid named no. after? Uh. uh a post Malone song which i think I don't
2: know. oh my god which post Malone is referring to himself as the white allen iverson right. is what oh dear okay well that you've really <laughs> you've really introduced a terrible dimension to this this poor child um yeah okay uh i i guess i just want to say can uh can prayers up for for iverson <laughs> <laughs>
4: yeah.
2: iverson roy the third generation of this terrible family
4: i'm sure you made a lovely gift whatever it was yeah
2: so let's talk about, uh, Roman because, uh, you know, this, uh, this, this episode ends with Kendall in tears, uh, pushed to the ground, uh, by Roman in, in what's sort of like a, sort of like a Joshing gone wrong. And then also like quite clearly cruelty that has been unleashed a little bit. Um, and what, you know, Roman throughout this episode is really focused on one thing, and that's delivering Matson to his dad. Um, but, you know, over the last few episodes, like episode five um, was the phone call with the president. Uh, episode six um, was him in D.C. getting in bed with Mankin, And now there's this episode where it sort of feels like, just a few weeks ago, this was someone who, like, said that his tummy hurt from watching TV, and now he's, like, flowered into this supremely piece-of-shit person.
4: Who is making common cause with really bad people, you know? Yeah. Um. I, I mean, Matson is kind of this parody of aloof, oddball, uh, misanthropic guru-creator-billionaire people, you know? Yeah. Um, So I don't know what necessarily what his morality is, but but like he doesn't seem like a person that will make Roman any better, (laughs) you know. (laughs) And and certainly Mencken will not do that. the 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 outgoing president seems bad, but maybe he's kind of out of the picture. But yeah, Roman is winning by aligning himself and kind of allocating relationships with uh, scary people. And in this episode, I think either reveals true form or if ev- evolves into his next worst form.
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh yeah. I, I it's and it's I have to say I, I struggled a a little bit to follow maybe just because I find uh rich technocrats a little bit uh difficult to predict or understand. I didn't fully get what Matson saw in Roman's kind of pitch to him. But it did hinge on this ridiculous scene where Mattson turns on, on, on Roman's phone, turns on, like, the live streaming for Stargo, which I guess is the Waystar Royco streaming platform that is very bad, puts throws the phone into a urinal, and then pees onto the phone. Live, live stream in the very literal sense.
4: Yes, Exactly. <laughs> And what disgusts him it seemingly about Waystar Royco. Well, you know, as as what is it? Kendall says it's Amtrak buying uh, Tesla. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's the kind of creakiness of of the company. Uh, Matson says, "I, you know, I, I'm not like media. That's not what I do. That's not what I know." Um, but he really seems most offended by the bad tech, you <laughs> yeah. know. Yeah. And so. Uh, Roman kind of being like, oh, fuck it. We'll destroy it together. Who cares? Like, whatever. We want you. We have this library of, of titles. We have, you know, we can create original new content. You know, they do offer something that Matson, in all his sort of isolated tech bro-ness doesn't know how to do. And so maybe he sees that pairing um, as worthy. And also, if he can help destroy a bad piece of tech that offends his sensibilities, mm-hmm. um, maybe that's enticement enough. I don't know.
2: Yeah, po- I mean possibly, I, and I, and I think uh, Roman plays plays into this, um, and and I think uh, there's a way in which he kind of plays Matson. I mean, I think it's so so. It, you know, it starts the whole thing starts with Matson saying, "I don't really want to deal with some some guy looming over me all the time." When is your dad gonna die? roman's so uncomfortable i mean what we know about him is how completely bonded he is to his dad being in charge his dad winning um so he somehow manages to promise that Matson will never have to meet his dad then they do this peeing thing and then is he's like oh so you'd be okay with meeting my dad right and Matson's like yeah sure <laughs> right i don't yeah. think i really understand rich people but it uh, well let me just say that i think something about this the the power dynamic of this peeing thing you know um nomi fry who's a writer at the new yorker this uh wrote just a few days ago about about episode five which is the um, the episode with uh the uti with logan's uti that uh pee urine has like this um has this like um is used as this like uh, symbol of who has power and where which direction the power is going um, throughout succession and uh it's a very funny like roundup of pee moments in the show yeah. um w- and this is just such a great addition to that because um there is a way in which um there there there's a way in which mattson's sort of asserting his power over over this like streaming service but then is also kind of seduced by the sort of grotesque dynamics of the roy family um and Roman's kind of able to to get him in based on on this very weird bonding activity.
4: Yeah. And if you think about the real dynamic that's happening, Roman says, I can't be in front of other men. We don't know why, you know, alluding to his <laughs> tortured, it's like, you know, psychosexual makeup. Um, but what that leads to is this tech guy, billionaire, presumably whatever, um, standing and peeing onto a phone in a urinal while like some other someone else doesn't do that but it's just sort of there like it's a little demeaning for mattson i think especially after i think he went to this party and sulked in a corner because he knew he was going to be courted despite either either by kendall or maybe the other roy kids would show up i think he was trying to play a little you know gloomy Gus, hard to get kind of thing Mm. um and so he he had everyone try to come up and kiss the ring and and he got that satisfaction but then in the end He's the one with, pardon the expression, his dick out, you know, mm-hmm. like he's the one who's kind of like exposed himself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know. I think I think that that might have felt to him like a sort of power pose, like I'm pissing on your family's thing. But the family, he said, I don't want someone like looming over me. What is Roman doing in that scene? He's mm-hmm. standing over him, watching him.
2: Mm-hmm. You know? Oh, I, I, I love that. That's a good point. Yeah, I am um, I I'm curious about like this video or this broadcast or whatever like what happens to it now? Because this is like it was a drunk night, they did this thing, seemed like a great idea. I could see how maybe the next day like it might not seem like such a great idea. Um and and I guess um just because I'm I'm very invested in the relationship between Roman and Jerry. Something that I noticed is that, you know, for the last two episodes Jerry really hasn't been present um kind of in Roman's sphere. And I sort of wonder if, like, she has a way of maybe reining him in or, like, keeping his sort of, like, worst impulses in check. But without her and just exposed to Logan, Roman's really just toxic waste.
4: So, yeah, so Roman kind of wins this episode, but what does he gain by winning it? You know, um, because Mm -hmm. he's alienated everyone. Um and I think he also in the process of obviously hurting Kendall both emotionally and to some extent physically when he pushes him or whatever he does. Um I think he does cut to the quick with Shiv too, don't you, don't you think?
2: Oh, oh yes. Oh yes. Um she he really identifies Well, they they go back and forth about relationships a little bit where she's like, "Oh, well, I'm in a stable relationship and you're not." And he's like, you wanted your husband to go to prison, didn't you? Like, you seem so disappointed that he's not going to prison.
4: (laughs) Which I love that detail emerging. You know, I think they teased out the possibility that Shiv really wanted that to happen, and they waited for this episode. I think that's great. You know, obviously, Shiv and Tom have a very complicated relationship. It hadn't quite struck me until this episode that, like, the idea of him disappearing for a while was really... And while also kind of giving her the status of, well, my husband sacrificed for you, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, she, she probably did want uh, some, some of the weird attendant collateral glory of Tom making this great sacrifice. And, but also I think she probably just wanted him gone. And, and for Roman to have, I think quite aptly sift, you know, um, sniff that out, um, and to express it in this, Way that I, I don't know, it seemed pretty embarrassing for Shiv because mm-hmm. he's basically saying, You're as cold and misanthropic and sort of l- lonery as I am. You know, you, you're in a relationship, but it's by no means good. Uh, and I think that really did hit her. Maybe not, I don't think she got emotional about Tom per se, but it really challenged how she's crafted her own self conception, which, you know, like all these other kids, is mostly a lie.
2: Yeah, I am. I I found Shiv's emotional state a little challenging to read in this episode, and I think it might be because she doesn't know herself <laughs> what is happening. You know, this uh, revelation that Tom's not going to prison, um, or probably isn't going to prison, according to their little voices at the DOJ. Um, it, I, I have to say, there's something so embarrassing and humiliating for all of them about the fact that Tom's even not even in the room. He's not even told. But they're already pouring champagne (laughs) in the C-suite being like, oh, great. Good for us. Um, But then no one's happy for him. And Shiv is very centrally the person who's not who just doesn't seem happy. And it's clear that she's frustrated, It's clear that she's mad. She's she gets so she's so worked up that she's she's dancing. Right. She has this like sort of frenzied, this frenzied moment of release on the dance floor um,
4: Almost Elaine Bennis. Dance. I mean, it's <laughs> it's a cousin of that.
2: <laughs> and 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 Roman will not let the dancing go. Um, just com- c- teases her. T- I mean, teasing doesn't even sound right the right word. It's like really bullying her like ruthlessly for for releasing in any way, for having emotions in any way. Um, and she and, and he I think I think he's he's definitely hit a button with uh Uh, He's definitely hit a button with her in terms of calling out what she's feeling about Tom, what she's really feeling about Tom, because she's not being honest about that. But the other thing I thought that he said that was so horrible but really accurate is that... uh, He says you thought it was ladies night you thought that it was like time was up for all the men in the room and it was like finally time for a woman to be in charge and that woman was going to be you but actually all the men we got together and he makes this face and it's so patronizing where he's like he makes this like shut up face at her i if i were her i would have hit him i'm just letting you know right now
4: (laughs) and you were like no i wasn't i didn't mean to hit you i was just (laughs) answering yeah yeah, we, we, the men got together in our man club and we, you know, and uh, I mean, what, what Roman shows an adept, an aptitude for is similar to what, you know, right wing trolls can do. They, they're good at, at kind of twisting the knife of certain social justice developments and concerns and language to, to really throw it back in people's faces. You know, mm-hmm. uh, and in in this case, he's 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 saying, "I don't give a shit if this is misogynistic or patriarchal or whatever, but we did it and we won, and yeah. or we're winning." You know, and that is just look. I don't think Shiv is some paragon of feminism or whatever, but but she fancies herself one to some extent. And Roman knew exactly where to pierce the bubble on that. Um, and yeah, I, I I also wanted to point out in terms of the Tom thing mm. that. I, I at least, I guess, appreciated that Logan quietly said, "I'll remember," mm, mm. Mm, mm. which maybe was the whole thing he was hoping for the whole time to get a little bit of, you know, in his good graces and Logan's good graces. Um, we'll see if Logan actually does remember that and what that remembering, uh, what form it takes. Uh, although I do think that Shiv may get her wish after all. I don't know this this whole not pr- no prison thing, this celebration thing, maybe seems a little too good to be true or a little too soon.
2: Well, and and I felt that way about the whole the whole cruise ship scandal, which they're sort of celebrating it as if the door is closed on it. But I'm not a hundred percent convinced. And and you know Shiv, even in that moment of like, is like, oh well, we're not going to do this again, right? Like, we're not going to break the law and like use you know traffic women again, right? And nobody really says anything to that. And I think that there is a way in which, on some level, the lack of accountability might be what's on her mind, too. Like, I don't know if she was necessarily thrilled that Tom should go to prison, but I think she did feel that the company had done something wrong and that something needed to change. But what she's discovered is that her whole plan of trying to make change on the inside has just led to the status quo being reinforced in the company, even right down to, once again, the male child, Roman in this case, being elevated over her no matter what she does.
4: And, you know, you go back to the last uh, last week's episode and she reluctantly poses for this photo with this fascist Fascist. guy, literal fascist. And maybe the thinking was, well, I just have to endure this for a little while longer because the the corporate culture is changing. It's changing. And then Roman in this episode says, nope. And Kendall right kind of says to all of them, like, you're you're with Nazis or whatever. You know, the, the Chiv is now fully tainted by this operation and yet is not getting any of the the gain that she thought she would um you know she she's that, she's kind of losing position i think yeah. uh and and to watch her sort of you know uh, realize that uh she like in last crusade chose poorly uh, <laughs> it, it it's hard you know and no no amount of embarrassing dancing can flush all that out
2: so there are a couple of scenes in this episode where it's just her and tom and I, I I'm not convinced that Shiv doesn't love Tom in some way. I, I think like earlier in the show I felt that a little bit more strongly. I think what I need what I see now is even when she can't meet his needs, um she's able to be really um she's real she's able to be very honest about what she feels with him, um, which I do think ha- there is something good about that. Maybe I'm just grasping at straws here, but every time that they're together, she's upset. And Yes, she's she's not celebrating him not going to prison. I'm not convinced it's because he's not going to prison so much as it's just her power has been so thoroughly undermined and she can't let it go. Um, But either way, she's very unhappy. And at the end of that episode for that, I mean, the end of this episode for them where they're both in the car and Tom just sort of says, like, I'm going to go out and she's kind of stewing in her mess. And it doesn't really bode well, does it?
4: No, no. No. And, you know, we should talk about Tom's emotional arc in this episode, which is also very sad. Yeah. uh, Because he, like the Roy children, he's sort of an honorary Roy child to some extent, um, just doesn't know how to feel joy or relief (laughs) or anything. And gets very glum that no one's happy. He's not happy. The only person who's happy is Greg, which infuriates Tom. (laughs) yes (laughs) because he point blank says it to him he was like i'm supposed to be happy right (laughs) you know right and i i think that in that shiv found a decent partner for her mess because he's a mess too and in these kids you know emotional worldviews like maybe love for them is just a little bit of loyalty or, or 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 routine or familiarity like at least Tom is there. He's a constant to some extent in Shiv's life, even if she pushes him away and alienates him and mistreats him. And he, her, um, they're somebody. And these people are very alone. And I don't think, you know, despite Roman's uh, Machiavellian success in recent episodes, like, I-, I don't think that he's going to feel any less alone either. You know, uh, he he might be moving more towards the center of this galaxy, but it's probably pretty cold there, too.
2: Yeah, I um, it's it, it, it. You you see Tom go from. I mean, he has to suppress his elation until he gets to Greg's office. His only safe relationship is with Greg, which is so much. There's so much there. Even just the way that their body language is in that little room when Tom goes nuts. What a great, what a great little moment by Matthew McFadden. Um, and then that's that's his high point is this one moment of exultation. And then the rest of the episode is him coming down from that and sort of realizing that he's still in this completely messed up family with these very bizarre incentive structures and um, kind of like transactional, a a transactional nature to everything that happens in their relationships, anything that could be love or affection. And I think he's realizing his own sort of prison is he's, he's in a kind of prison with it with this family, with this marriage. And I, I, I do think he loves Shiv. I really do believe that, um, and we know that he has a dick like a sequoia tree, and he fucks like a bullet train too. So you would just think that they, these things would all work out in their favor, but um, does
4: he though? Really? <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, and we didn't get to see him prove it, which is just a pity for all of us. But uh, I don't. I kind of believe it.
4: <laughs> I believe it. I mean, I think it, it's funny that he has that line. There's obviously the the peeing thing. Mm. There is a lot of either metaphorical or literal dick wagging in this episode but look how ineffectual it is in this dumb huge cavernous space and i don't know it just the the you know roman might get his licks in on shiv in terms of the man club but the man club is looking pretty sad (laughs) and sorry yeah um although tempered some by i i don't know I, i i hesitate to say it's genuinely sweet but the greg and comfrey thing was nice ish Mm-hmm. uh telling certainly that this woman who has been hired to manage Kendall's PR is fed up with him and is like yeah, fuck it like I'll just go on, I'll go on a date with you that's fine is she doing it out of spite for Kendall maybe um but there was at least that little bit of awkward tentative positivity uh, peeking out of this episode
2: mhm mm-hmm. even even though he says he's like it might just be in retaliation against
4: Kendall sure. oh of course because can't, <laughs> no, no one on this show can genuinely you know, wholeheartedly, sincerely embrace something as good. You know, there's always got to be an angle, a negative take on it, whatever, Um, you know. And, and yeah, and, and, and Tom has that moment of celebration with Greg. I mean, it's a very violent form of it. And I would imagine that's an adrenaline re- re- release. And what can happen with that kind of release, you know, that Shiv tries to attempt on the dance floor, is that it can further that initial feeling, be it of happiness, excitement, whatever, but it also opens the door for a lot of other stuff to come flooding out you know it's a, it 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 unstops the bottle or whatever and and i think that's what tom is experiencing is it with those great feelings of relief uh come uh, come you know a lot of other things come rushing in and uh he doesn't know how to handle it because none of these people do yeah they all need to be in therapy <laughs> yeah
2: um i i i think something um to go back to roman for a second because i just feel like this this that so this, this is very much like the last few minutes of the episode where he kind of is drunk on his own power and and starts just like handing out cruelty um left and right it's uh it's kind of a searing kind of a searing scene um and at the, at the end he says it's this is fu- it's funny what I did like what he did when he pushed pushes Kendall like shoves on the back a little bit Kendall I don't know exactly what happened loses this balance falls to the floor. And he keeps going, it's funny. It's fucking funny. You're going to laugh about this later. Um, and I, I thought that was, uh, it was funny because um, earlier in the episode, Kendall, when he's talking about doing this crucifixion thing with like the Billy Joel thing, he's like, this is funny, right? <laughs> this is this is a funny, a funny thing to be doing that people are going to laugh at this. Um, they're going to be in on on the joke with me. I'm going to be in on the joke with them. Um It gave me a little bit of insight into the way that cruelty uh, in this family is sort of rolled into kind of having a sense of humor about things. Of course, the humor is always pointed downwards towards people who have less or towards people who have more to lose. Um, But for the people who are on top, which is almost always Logan Roy, um, it's just about not having enough of a sense of humor.
4: Right. And- you know, a couple episodes ago, what does the sentiment "we don't get embarrassed" mean? Mm. You know, what does that that means? We don't. We can't admit failure. We can't laugh at ourselves. We can't show vulnerability. We can't do all of these things that are part of embarrassment. You know, it, it it's embarrassment is is it arrives because it it positions you in relation to other people, you know? Yeah. And these people will not allow themselves to do that. And I I think that, you know, speaking of Kendall's breakthrough, the fact that, you know, he has this whole dumb, elaborate idea and he allows himself to be embarrassed about it, Yeah. which is more than any of his siblings have done, you know, in terms of psychological work uh, in, in these recent episodes. So there is something sort of, Valuable, I guess, about what happens to Kendall in this episode, and maybe what happens to Tom to some extent uh and even Shiv because they're all embarrassed and they're all feeling some sort of shame and uh are able to in some small way express that and uh maybe that's why it feels partly like the saddest episode of succession because it's the only episode or one of the few episodes in which characters, maybe not exactly explicitly verbally but in 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 various ways tell people I'm sad.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
4: Well, Sonia, you might be looking at a party like we had on this episode with all of its Imagineers and DJs and rooms with tree houses and compliment groves or whatever it is and wonder, how does one stage something like this? So we thought, who better to talk to about how to do that than this week's uh, director, Lorene Scafaria, um who has made The Meddler and Hustlers and Seeking a Friend for the End of the World, a great director who um, has come to television. <laughs> I would imagine it's a pretty cool opportunity to direct an episode of Succession. Uh, So I talked to her about that.
0: We've all been there before. You're planning a dinner party or having family over or even just cooking for yourself. When all of a sudden it starts to feel overwhelming.
2: Uh, I live in a very small one bedroom apartment with a very small kitchen. I can't figure out what to serve besides
0: water soup at this point. I'm Chris Morocco, Food Director of Bon Appetit and Epicurious, and this is Dinner SOS, a new podcast from Bon Appetit. Maybe it's a last-minute party with no menu inspiration. A kitchen with no space. A toddler who only eat buttered pasta. Name your dinner emergency. We're here to help. Here's how the show works. On each episode, we'll take a call from a home cook facing a real dinner emergency. Then I'll work with one of our editors or someone from our amazing test kitchen to try and solve it because cooking for the people you love should inspire joy without a side of stress. Make sure you're following Dinner SOS wherever you're listening now.
1: The questions around retirement have gotten tiring. Instead of, have you saved up enough? Shouldn't they be asking, what is it that you love to do? And how can we help you keep doing it? Lincoln Financial Group, marketing name for Lincoln National Corporation and its insurance companies and broker slash dealer affiliate Lincoln Financial Distributors, Inc. Copyright 2024, Lincoln National Corporation. This episode is brought to you by Empower. Can you retire early? Will there be enough money to leave an inheritance? Do you have savings for life's important milestones? If you have money questions, Empower has answers so you don't have to worry. With a real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you can get clarity on your real-life financial goals. Join 18 million Americans and take control of your financial future to empower what's next. Start today at Empower.com.
4: Well, I'm so excited now to be on the line with Lorene Scafaria, who directed Episode 7, Too Much Birthday. Lorene, hello.
3: Hi, how are you?
4: Good, good. Uh, so my co-host, Sonia Soraya, and I have dubbed this the saddest episode of Succession ever <laughs> <laughs> for a variety of reasons. Do you see it as a particularly sad episode? Uh,
3: I do. I do see it as sad. Um, I, I, I think I see a lot of the episodes as sad, to be honest, uh, but, but it's certainly the funniest tragedy on television um, this this particular episode, I think, does cut to the core of some of the characters. That is um, certainly Kendall, in a way that I, I'm not sure we've seen him quite so raw like this. Um, in this specific way, obviously.
4: Yeah, it's tragic, but also kind of refreshing because it's at least <laughs>
3: honest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 I, I, I feel I feel some empathy for him that I, in a in a way that. I don't know, you know, my maternal instinct kicks in for right,
4: yeah. <laughs> you are Caroline Collingwood, and <laughs> that's right this episode. Um, so I, I take it you were a fan of the show previous to doing this episode. Is that right?:
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I was such a fan of the show. I, that's why I, I, I believe I called everyone trying to put it out there that I was really interested in in, in directing an episode if, if they'd have me
4: what are you know i i know you mostly for film work um which i love and you know i rather evangelical about um but um what is it like to join as a director something that is so already in progress and they have their you know their world so fully built um is that is that an exciting challenge
3: it is for me i mean because i'm uh, you know working in film i'm so used to kind of building everything from the ground up and, and dragging it across the finish line myself. So um, this is a a different exercise for me. I don't even really do episodic TV very often, but I, with a show like this with writing that's this good with, with a crew and a cast like this, I, I felt like it was something that I, I just was so excited to kind of be a company man on, on a, on a, a, a brilliant show And yeah, I mean, it, it, it sometimes is an exercise in restraint (laughs) and uh, in sort of, you know, remembering that this is Jesse's vision that I'm, I'm trying to realize. And, um, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's such a well-oiled machine. You've got crew members like the production designer, Stephen Carter, who's been on from the very beginning and. Uh, two camera operators who are so used to doing this ballet with with this cast and feels the the cast feels like a theater troupe that is very comfortable with each other in a way directing television is always a little bit strange because you're the you're the special guest (laughs) but you're still supposed to you know run a set and um and so it's it's always a, a little bit of a challenge but um this was a challenge I was just so excited I mean for me I'm Truly, I, going to see Waystar Royco the first time was like universal studio tour for me or something. I was, <laughs> I was just you know very excited to be there and 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 you know play a small role in in a show that I love.
4: So you get this particular script for Too Much Birthday, and there's a lot emotionally going on, but there's also a ton physically with this space and this party and these multiple rooms how did you start to think about how that would all kind of flow together um, when you were actually on set or was that, is that, is there a lot of that in the script, I guess is what I'm asking, or do you have to come up with all this kind of movement and connectivity and all that stuff?
3: Well, a lot of it, I mean, you know, so much directing is actually on the page because there's such brilliant writers. They're obviously doing this very interesting sort of vertical storytelling in this one where there's different levels to the party uh, depending on <laughs> the level of the guest and 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 where they're allowed to roam, um, this was a this was a really challenging episode because, like you said, there's this this gigantic party and all these all these different rooms. Um, we had this uh, great venue, the shed in Hudson Yards, and we needed to m- marry that with a lot of sets that we were building and feel like it was all one party but with this episode that's a bit of like a bottle episode I I kept thinking of it as like Burning Man where (laughs) we're never going to see these sets again (laughs) you know this is like from the mind of Kendall Roy this is these are the these are the rooms that are being built up and they're going to be torn down right right when we're done and yet we're going to see characters that we know and are so familiar with navigating through the space and so yeah, I mean it, it it was really interesting to to throw this party with with Kendall, you know, with Jeremy and and uh and obviously so much of that was on the page, but I think the physicality, there's there's there are a lot of you know, there are a lot of intense scenes and um fighting scenes between the siblings and um there's there, there's so much to to sort of navigate as far as the blocking with ensemble like this. And, and then, you know, you're just always, you're just always up against the clock really how, how much time we had to, to pull this off. I mean, it, it felt like a, a film, but, you know, we, there was never going to be enough prep for an episode like this. So the, the spaces that Steven built, so much of it was looking at models and trying to figure out, make sure there was enough room for everybody to, to do their work. And um, that, that, you know, depending on the scene could sometimes be, well, let's prioritize this actor's emotions. And so let's make sure that this set feels like a great container for them to do their best work or, okay, now we're got an altercation here. Let's just make sure there's enough actual room on the dance floor (laughs) for, for something like this to take place. So yeah it, it it was uh it was all challenging like that
4: yeah I would imagine given the time constraints of television you couldn't you know spend weeks being like trying to get the vaginal canal hallway exactly right <laughs> I mean I'm sure I know the production designers know what they're doing but it's just there's so much detail that you had to throw it for one hour of television it's kind of remarkable
3: yeah I mean even that you know which shade of pink is the, is the right, right shade of pink um the the canal was something that was built but if you can believe it those legs i believe were rented (laughs) i think those were those were something that was you know there's a store for that
4: (laughs) i I shudder to think what the other applications for those were but uh,
3: (laughs) (laughs) yeah
4: so um i want to get into specific character arcs because there are several fascinating things happening in this episode and so it's kendall's birthday so we should start with him um how did you and Jeremy kind of in your conversations while you were, were shooting or even beforehand, like building this arc so that it's so meaningful when he's sitting on the pile of presents, bursting into tears, like a sad kid at his birthday party, like, because you have to make those beats really work for this character who doesn't often betray this kind of emotion. So what were those conversations like, or what was your strategy for that?
3: Oh um, yeah. I mean, actors are always so different and need different things. I think with someone as, truthful and thoughtful as Jeremy is, you, you, you know, you really do just want to create a space in which he can do honest work, um, and then, you know, help guide and shape and calibrate, but, but he's, he's a truly special actor and he, he already makes Kendall such a complete person. So it's, it's, um, it's all in the details, I think with, with him, it's all in the, in the moment and, and in the details, um, The gift room was something we talked about a lot um, in terms of 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 reaching this this point um, when when he's frantically looking for this present and what this present represents, Um, you know, his 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 children, what they mean to him is obviously it's all it's pure love, but it is also so loaded (laughs) with uh, what his own father's. Relation, you know, his relationship with his own father, and so I think this present represents the the best part of him, the the part of him that he respects the most is is the uh, the part that would care <laughs> enough to to find this gift that that his kids got him, and so um, so yeah, that was that that was what we were obviously building towards, was uh, pushing him to that point, but it's. Um, yeah i mean i think i think when you go into it's it's like anyone throwing a party you know you have so much pressure to entertain and in a way you're you're inviting however many people to this thing but you're really just doing it for two or three people to to be deeply impressed and so in a way that's what this entire party is for is it's for his siblings to to show up and and kind of see him in his element and um I I really do think it's in the details. It's this jacket that he's wearing that he thinks is so cool. It's um, whatever drink is in his hand in a, in a certain room, you know, how he can continue to, to play his part to sell the excitement of this, of this thing. So Jeremy and I, I, I think we had a great connection. I really love working with him. Um, We're both kind of musical people. So I, I, we talked a lot about, um, Uh, shared songs with each other, you know, keeping the party going, obviously. But, but I I do like to direct with my ears as much as my eyes. And so I I think we bonded over that. And, um, and yeah, I mean, he has to go to some really intense places that, um, you know, you've seen Kendall vulnerable before, but I I don't think quite this inward facing um, or, you know, that this is, this is, this is childhood stuff. This is what therapy is for. You right. know, so
0: <laughs> Yeah.
4: <laughs> yeah, it definitely it feels like a, a, a corner has been turned or something. Um, you know, and I, I talked with my co host Sonia about this that like there's a sense of suspense to the episode because you're so I was so worried oh my god we saw a little snippet of him singing honesty you know but what is this actual thing going to be that he you know luckily does decides not to do at the last minute how far did did you get very far envisioning what that might have been or was it just kind of elusive enough in the script that you could kind of you didn't have to bother coming up with those details in your head
3: no I think I think we wanted to make it feel like he he could go all the way with this obviously and so i we discussed it i there were various versions of it not none where he performed it but things where maybe he got closer to it um and i i think that was the the joy was trying to make sure that it felt like this, this could happen. <laughs> he right. might actually go through with this. Um, the cross was something that the, the details of that, you know, make, making that look sort of more rustic um, was, was a, was a choice certainly. And no, I, I there, there were just versions of it that I, I, I think he got, you know, slightly closer to it, but, but thankfully, my gosh,
4: we, we were spared that horror. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um. <laughs> So moving on to Shiv, um, who also has a real, she gets kind of battered and bruised in this episode. Um, I I am curious though, with the particular detail of Shiv's, you know, dance of emotion, dance of anger, you know, uh, whatever you could categorize it as, what were those conversations like with Sarah Snook about like how she should dance?
3: Oh gosh. Well, uh, Sarah Snook is an incredible dancer. And um, I, I believe this even came from, the, the writers uh, some some night going out with with Sarah and seeing her in on the dance floor in real life and seeing what an explosive sort of expressive, incredible dancer she she is. So uh, when I saw this on the page, I, I felt spoiled. I couldn't believe that we were gonna get to to see Shiv cut loose like this. I think for a character that you see keeping it together, trying to keep it together in control, you know, when, when Shiv, when Shiv feels out of control, it, I think that's when my stomach drops the most when I'm watching the show. Um, and everything that I would say the men are kind of putting her through uh, in this episode, obviously, you know, what, what, what her father is sort of had has been dangling and taking away and uh, you know, the, the, everything that roman says to her every 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 time that she feels sidelined um it was so exciting to then have that person step out into the middle of the dance floor and i don't know i i you know for me i i was just like oh this is i have to remember we have to stay true to the visual language of the show and not you know turn this into j-lo's dance or something <laughs> i was gonna say
4: yeah we get criminal playing and
3: yeah, <laughs> I was that excited, though, to finally see her, you know, cut loose. And so I I could have shot that forever. I, it took a long time to yell cut. I'll say that. Um, but is there
4: music playing on set?
3: Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, this this song was one that we we all agreed. We just wanted Sarah to feel the loosest with the song. So I, I believe the song you're hearing in the episode is is the one that she had picked out to to, you know, what, what was going to get her to move the way that we all were hoping she would.
4: And then she just feels the space like a Terrence Malick kind of style. (laughs) Just, just (laughs) keep moving until I say stop.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly.
4: Um, So we also have, you know, a a number of other characters kind of moving their way through the, the the physics of this party. Uh, And we eventually, after all of this scramble, uh, arrive at a new character uh, played by Alexander Skarsgård um he's now all he's also new to this kind of ecosystem and and so i'm curious so maybe you got to have a little more involvement with helping to kind of create this new person in this world um did you have any sort of sense of who you wanted to model his character on or what were those kind of decision making things like
3: Uh, i think you know as far as the the dna of the character i think that certainly comes from jesse and and the writers i was excited though I, i i I was so excited about his casting. I, I might have been too forthright about that, but I, I I felt like his. This was so exciting to have someone who wouldn't be a roy, you know, someone who doesn't wouldn't wouldn't naturally fit into the family. Someone who's outside of that, um, you know. There's a, a dare I say Elon Musk quality <laughs> to him. I think um, so. There's 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 a certainly. Someone that maybe I had in mind for for that. I'm not sure if everyone was on that exact page, but but that that felt like a good um, touchstone in real life. And I was so excited to see someone who he throws off the rhythm of the of the roy's. He's he doesn't speak the same as them. He doesn't have that exact same uh, pattern. That that they all have, and so that, that was such an exciting thing to see on the page, and also uh, play out with them. He, uh, Alexander and and Kieran had such incredible chemistry together. I, I know the first thing we shot was the the bathroom scene, and it's the hardest I've ever laughed on any set uh, was to was to see the two of them together, constantly trying to I don't know one up each other in mm-hmm. some way, but he as an actor fit right in with, with the rest of them. And, um, and yeah, they, they just brought out the the best in each other, but I think it was because on the page, this is, this is someone who just disrupts that flow and, you know, that, that back and forth that they're used to having, he just doesn't have it in the same exact way. I think that that had the largest effect on, on the, the mood of the scenes of the, the connection between characters. There's just enough of a disconnect to, to feel this stranger in the house.
4: Yeah. And then that bathroom seat scene is indeed very strange. Um, yes. And it, it's funny that that, I mean, it kind of is fitting in a way that that's uh, just for, you know, whatever the realities of scheduling are that that had to be the first thing. Um, so it really <laughs> kind of throws you into the deep end. I would imagine.
3: Yeah. Yes.
2: The deep end. Exactly. <laughs>
4: So when you're, you you know, the thing about directing an episode of TV in the middle of a season is you have to, you're picking up in Medias Race and then you have to end it at such a place where there's going to be a couple more episodes afterward. Mm -hmm. Um, As a director, what did you find? uh, Was there anything you kind of learned about your process when you weren't telling a complete, you know, beginning to end story
3: i i think for me it felt like a short film in some way that you know but in some bizarre way it's like a sequel to a you know a sequel to something because you're picking up where it's it's left off but um gosh had you
4: read a lot of the scripts pre you know everything
3: everything leading up to it i had read i did not spoil the ending for myself. I didn't want to read anything that came, that came after. So, um, yeah, everything leading up to it, any, anything that they'd let me watch or, or get my eyes on. I, I, I was just really, yeah, I I wanted all the information leading up to it. And obviously, I mean, I've seen the first two seasons probably five times. (laughs) So, um, but yeah, no, I, I think, I think like, like you were saying before with just, entering something that's a well-oiled machine. These, these actors know their characters so well. Um, Obviously the writers are always around to talk to, but the, the actors themselves, I think always feel when something, if if anything feels off, they either present it to the writers or, or we're we're sort of dealing with it in real time on the set. And so, um, so, you know, they, they've got their, their backstories. So, so well they they i think i think that's the joy of something like this you you kind of know what shiv would do in a certain situation e- even as a, a fan you you kind of could i mean you're always surprised by the show but i think i think the dna of the characters they're just so psychologically sound that um that you can kind of predict what 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 it is that they would w- the moments that they would spike what would what would pull them out? What would get them to um, turn on a dime? And so, yeah, I, th- I think that's just the brilliance of the writing and and the, the the actors really that that do a lot of that work. And so, um, you know, it was it was great to get in the mix, obviously, and, and be able to 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 connect with them on that and and find possibly various versions but but really there's there's kind of you know there's only one shiv there's only one Kendall, so i i, I think i think they that that helped a great deal
4: well i i the show certainly felt in, in good hands with you behind the camera and um you know congrats on directing the saddest episode ever uh
3: <laughs> thank you. In,
4: sad in an enjoyable way um <laughs> and yeah thank you again for talking to us we really appreciate it oh
3: thank you so much
4: thanks Lorene. Bye-bye. Bye bye-bye Before we close the episode, I think it's sort of fitting, Sonia, that we kind of forgot to talk about Connor. <laughs> um, yeah, true to form.
2: Connor sort of forgot he was at a party, is what I feel.
4: <laughs> he looked like a Bond villain or something with his <laughs> members-only jacket on his arm. You know, it was it was an interesting look.
2: He looked like, to me, it was like a stubborn tourist. Um, he's just, like, ref- yeah. refusing to have a good time. Um, has this, like, weird conspiracy theory about coat check. Um, and we find out that he uh, hurt his arm because of dancing a jig over his la- latest poll numbers, where he is polling at just around one um, wh- percent. You know, I, I have to say, I was not what I—something I was not expecting this many episodes into the season—is that Willa's just sticking by him. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she's like defending him. She's proud of him. She's trying to get people to stop taking his coat. It was kind of cute.
4: She tells off Comfrey uh you know in a that's her name
2: comfrey 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 with yeah yeah like the herb yeah
4: (laughs) right um yeah i mean again with with the relationship between shiv and tom being very messed up but also valuable to them connor and willa have a very transactional relationship a lot of the time but sometimes there is a genuine care there Mm -hmm. maybe willa is just saying well this guy could become president it'd be good to be aligned with him or, and maybe that is part of it, yes, but I think there is another side of it that is genuine uh, and almost sweet. I mean, Connor is, I think, kind of the scariest of the children because he could become president and that would be horrible for this fictional version of America. Um, but he is, as yet, still the sort of ineffectual boob who um, looks like gene hackman and get shorty after he breaks his arm with the (laughs) coat draped over and everything
2: yeah and it just sort of seemed like he was just not having a good time like he's just seemed so bewildered by the entire setting that they were in um i really i i find myself a little unsure how to predict what's going to happen next in this show so now we're two episodes away from the finale and what we see at the end of this is everyone fairly isolated, um, kind of, I mean, you know, I guess I guess that's not exactly true because Connor and Will are together and Kendall and Naomi are, for, are together for now. Um, but there is this real sense of fragmentation between all the siblings and um, the very scary situation of Roman being not just the most, currently the most successful sibling with their father, but also then getting like a platform for his horrible cruelty. Um just like a little it's like it's not just a dark episode it's like a dark episode that doesn't give you much of hope either.
4: <laughs> yeah, and I I don't think it's an accident that there's a conversation about Logan dying um in a perhaps more explicit way than we've seen on the show yeah. before. Uh and that most of this episode is the kids without him. He's in the beginning of the episode but then he sort of disappears. Um cuz he doesn't go to the party. And here are the kids now navigating something of a Loganless world while thinking about aging and death and birth and all that stuff and realizing that without Logan to rally around, they spin off into complete catastrophe in relation to one another. Yeah. And um, you know, they've never gotten along that well as long as we've been watching this show, but um when when the potential for Logan to not be this binding agent uh is introduced uh, things do not go well and these relationships fall apart very quickly and so i would imagine that the remaining two episodes will further delineate that unless there's some huge turn and they all come together in the end and it's brady Bunch.
2: well uh until then richard where can we find you
4: uh i'm auditioning imagineers for my 40th i mean it's only it's a year and a half away but i still I, you know you gotta... I, i'm kind of actually late to the Late to the planning because I have friends who they're already fully booked. I I have the jab at center, so I'm excited. That.
2: <laughs> I can't. Um, I can't wait.
4: <laughs> oh, you're invited for sure. Well, you can't. I'm sorry, you can't come to the treehouse. <laughs> Very private. Uh, I'm also tweeting at Rylas and writing at vf dot com. Uh, Sonia, until the penultimate episode of the season, where can people find you?
2: Um, I think I'll be doing a tour of fake news covers that I've made about my friends and family. Um, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna lead them through various mock-ups of what I think their terrible ends should be. Um, and you'll find me doing that at vf.com.
4: Uh, we hope everyone had a great Thanksgiving holiday, and uh, we'll see you next week. Bye.
3: Know that fizzy feeling you get when you read something really good, watch the movie everyone's been talking about, or catch the show the internet can't get over? At the Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast, we chase that feeling five times a week. We talk about the buzziest
2: movies, TV, music, books, and more. From lowbrow to highbrow to in between,
3: catch the Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast from NPR.
0: From P-